Okay, the book of Acts. This is a great book. This is I'm I'm really excited to study this book. Last year, um, the end of our Revelation study, which I thoroughly enjoyed, and so many of you, when I see you still, you tell me thank you so much for that teaching. It was really helpful. So glad about that. I really enjoyed the book of Acts, the um, book of Revelation. Now we're going into the book of Acts. We took a poll. It was down to the book of Acts and the book of Revelation, and so now we're going to go into the book of. I'm sorry the book of Acts or book of Romans. You guys chose the book of Acts. And so we're going to go there. So we're going to go right to Acts chapter 1. And we're going to just do a little bit of an introduction to the topic on the book of Acts. And the book of Acts, if you're in your Bible, it's right after the Gospels. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you have the book of Acts. And then you have Romans. And so today's title of this episode is Why Your Church is Dying. Why Your Church is Dying. And the subtitle is, How Can Those Who Claim to Follow the One Who Beat Death Be So Dead? (laughs) Why can those, or how can those who claim to follow the one who beat death be so dead? Uh, The church is, in some respects, uh, seeing a pullback in uh, population, in numbers, in percentages. Uh, These are some statistics on the dying church in America or in the West, but particularly in America, between 6,000 and 10,000 churches in the U.S. are dying each year. That means around 100 to 200 churches will close this week. 100 to 200 churches will close this week. Uh, Gallup reports in 2000, in the year 2000, 73% of U.S. adults with a religious preference belong to a church compared to 64% today. Just 42% of millennials are members of churches on average. By comparison, 20 years ago, my generation, Gen Xers, uh, 62% of us were in a church. So it's gone from 62% of the younger generation to 42% of the younger generation uh, are in church. Uh, the trend is bad. Eastern Illinois University professor Ryan Burge explained on uh, religious religion in public that self-identified nuns, okay, uh, get the spelling right, N-O-N-E-S, self-identified nuns, have risen from 22% of the American population in 2008 to 29.5% or 30% of the population in 2018, making them, these are people with no religious preference whatsoever, no religion, making them the largest religious group in the country. The big finding in 2018 is that those of no religion are now as common as evangelicals in the U.S. What's an evangelical? Somebody who believes that the Bible is the word of God, is an errand, uh, that we need to share our faith, and that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. So the two big religious groups in our country, and I think these are the people who are fighting on Twitter, (laughs) is uh, evangelicals, Bible believers, and non-believers. And these are the two groups that I think are, you know, part of the political divide, they're part of the climate change divide, they're part of the, you know, abortion divide, the family values divide, all the divides, right? So you've got these two large segments of the population. But the fact of the matter is, is the one that's grown the fast over the last 20 years has been the non-believers. So I, th- I found this article um, from uh, BBC News uh, that was interesting. Uh, oh, first, before we get to that article, this is a chart from Gallup, and you can just see the chart, the trend is since 1938 to 2018. Um, the question is, do you happen to be a member of a church, synagogue, or mosque? And it went from 73% in 1938 of Americans uh, down to 50% in 2018. By the way, 50% is still a lot. Like, I don't think we understand how high that is in relation to the rest of the world's countries uh, to have even 50% of our population belonging to a church, synagogue, or mosque. Um, Mostly, of course, in America, churches or synagogues. But this is still a lot. Um, 
I'm not trying to alarm you like the climate alarmists. I am trying to say, though, that there is a problem. There is a problem with a dying church trend in this country. And today I want to answer why. I do. I want to tell you why your church is dying. Are you part of a dying church? Now, I saw this article on the BBC uh, news site, um, and I shared this with our church a couple of weeks ago. Uh, The title of the article says, uh, Churches No Longer Have to Hold Sunday Services. That's the title. Quote, churches no longer have to hold Sunday services. Now, in in England, not in America, there's this still church-state relationship. There's this, you know, the Anglican church, uh, you know, is the official state church of England. Thank you, King Henry VIII. Um, But anyway, uh, evidently, in these old archaic church buildings, they were still being forced by government mandate to have services. And so the bishop would show up, and he would have a service, and like two people would show up, and then he would close the service, and that would be it. And they said, okay, we need to pass a law, because it's still on the books that you have to have services, but as of right now, you no longer have to have services, so good, good for you. No longer having services. And I just thought about, that's sad. That's like really sad, because there was a time when churches in England were flourishing. There was a time when two young um, Anglican ministers literally uh, gave their life, burned at the stake for the sake of making sure that the gospel was heard by people of England, and they weren't just tied to the Catholic Church tradition, but they knew Jesus personally. I forget their names, but they were great men. They died for the faith, and their deaths spurred on a great revival of Christianity in England. I mean, England used to be the bastion of Christian thought and belief, and many of the great universities in England still have their ties their ancient ties, their historical ties, to the Christian faith. And, and even science today came out of the Church of England. We don't remember this, but the Church of England produced the Royal Society. A guy by the name of Isaac Newton was part of that club. They came not against the church, they came out of the church. And they said, hey, listen, uh, thanks to the Protestant Reformation, we can now demystify the universe, and we can actually study the elements, and we can study the causes and the consequences of all these natural elements, and now we can tell people truth, and we can show people how to avoid disease and how they live better lives, and all the scientific discoveries that we have today are in large part due to, guess who? Christians. Christians who said, let's study, let's learn, and, and let's be good stewards of God's creation. But that's not the case anymore. Christianity in Europe uh, is far outpacing America in terms of losing adherence. Uh, Christianity in England, and now, of course, Christianity in America. So the trend is bad. All that to say this, the trend is bad. God help us if we ever come to a place in our churches, and I'm part of a life-giving church. I'm part of a growing church. I love our church. But God, God keep us from the days when we close the building because nobody else is showing up. So how do we stop that? Like, right, I don't want to be a dying church. And I I hope you're not a part of a dying church, but you might be. Not everybody who listens to this podcast comes to my church. You might go to another church. And you might be sitting in a church where there's no movement. There's no stirring. There's nothing happening. And you're thinking, you know, what's going on? What do we do with our dying church? And we love to make excuses about this. We love to make excuses about why the church isn't growing. Like, we'll make excuses, like, we'll say, we'll say things like, well, it's America, you know, America's very anti-Christian now. It's the culture, you know, people are irreligious. It's Madonna's fault. It's all Madonna. You know, from the day that she wore that crucifix on that sexy video, that was the end, you know. I'm old, I'm old enough to remember that, right? Like a prayer. Um, anyway, you know, we, we'll, we'll blame the culture. We'll say our culture is too secular and there's no stopping it. Or we'll say it's television. 
You know, it's will and grace, you know. It's all these, these entertainment options that kind of vilify Christianity. And, and I, I, I'm aware of that. I mean, think about who the bad guy is in most of the films of the 1980s and 90s. Think about who the bad guy is. Like, the greatest film ever made, I think, is The Shawshank Redemption. The Shawshank Redemption is a fantastic film, but who's the bad guy? The Bible-toting, Bible-thumping warden of the prison, okay? He's the bad guy. So it always is, it's always like projected, like, oh, the Christians are bad. The Christians are evil. You know, the more Bible they know, the less good they are. Um, but we'll blame television. We'll say it's the entertainment industry. But I think, I think that entertainment just reflects culture. I don't think it actually dictates to culture. I just think that people write those characters, these Bible-thumping characters who are evil, because guess what? They met a Bible-thumper in their own personal life who was evil. And so they just said, I know this character. Let me write this character. People write what they know. And so I, I'm not blaming television. I think television is a reflection of our world. It is not, it is not dictating to our world. It's trying to dictate to our world. It's not working. Um, some people say we don't have the money. Uh, church is just broke. You know, We can't grow. We can't build. We can't fund the projects that we want. If we had more money, we'd be able to make the church grow. But I want to suggest to you that all those things are excuses. They are flimsy excuses. And they would not fly as excuses, with our forefathers in the faith. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm talking about Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, all, all the guys we read about in the Gospels. I'm talking about Paul the Apostle. I'm talking about Timothy and Titus and Barnabas. Okay, I think that those guys up in heaven saying, stop making excuses. Okay, because why? Because they would tell us, if they could come back and talk to us today, they would tell us, we had nothing. We had zilch. We had no education. We had no buildings. We had no money. We didn't even have a legal right to exist. Like, Christians get upset about, oh, they're going to take our tax exemption away. They're going to take our tax exemption away. Yeah, and <laughs> do, do, does our father own the cattle on a thousand hills or not? Like, seriously, does God provide for his children or not? So let them take our, I don't want them to, but maybe, maybe they take our tax exemption away. Are we going to flip out? Are we going to freak out? Are we going to say the church is hopelessly doomed? Or are we going to put our faith where it belongs? In Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the one who said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I think that our far, forefathers in the faith, if they could talk to us today, they would say, you have no idea what it was like to be under the Roman Empire. You think America is bad? The Roman Empire was burning us alive at the stakes. They, they, they were throwing us to lions, for heaven's sakes. They were, we were sport. Our deaths were sport to them. Oh, and by the way, like three years into our movement, James, one of the inner three of the apostles, J Peter, James, and John, James gets beheaded, and Peter gets thrown in prison, like in the first three years of the movement. Like, don't talk to us about problems. Don't talk to us about your excuses. And don't tell us that television is the problem, okay? That, I'm just saying, they dealt with problems, okay, that were serious. The Roman Empire was exceedingly evil, exceedingly pagan. It was exceedingly powerful. It covered the whole known world. Its military was unstoppable. It was advanced beyond any military that had ever come before it. The Roman Empire was filled with entertainment options all over the place. Uh, it was filled with paganism and pagan festivals and celebrations. It was 
um, very stringent on laws about personal faith. If you had a personal faith that was not aligned with pagan, uh, the paganism of Rome, uh, they had a law. It was okay as long as you just said Caesar is Lord. You know, in the first century, saying Jesus is Lord was a political death knell to your existence. You had to say Caesar's Lord, and Christians were like, no, Jesus is Lord. And you're like, okay, you're going to go to die. And they're like, I don't care. Jesus is Lord. I'm still going to say that until you put me to death, because as soon as you put me to death, I'm going to meet Jesus, right? And so this is the thing about the Roman Empire. It was illegal, okay, illegal not just to have church. It was illegal to be a Christian. And yet, within 300 years, Within 300 years, the 120 people that Jesus left in the upper room to say, wait for the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses, turned the Roman Empire upside down, took it over to the extent that the emperor in the 300s saw the writing on the wall, Christianity was taking over the empire and said, you know what, um, if you can't beat him, join him. And so Constantine becomes a Christian and then he converts the Christian religion into the official state religion of Rome within 300 years. Like 300, 120 people, people. 120 people. No rights, no buildings, no money, no nothing. And the world forever changed. So why am I saying all this? Because there is no there is no external reason why the church should be dying. If Rome couldn't stop it, America can't stop it. If Rome couldn't stop it, science can't stop it. If Rome couldn't stop it, I mean, seriously, let's just put it in perspective of history. I mean, if these guys, if Peter, James, and John were right here doing this deep end podcast instead of me, they would say to you, suck it up, buttercups. We've been through worse. And you'll get, there, you'll get through this. Christ is enough, and he is more than powerful enough to overcome the odds for you. Now, <laughs> I make all that case because good news. We actually have Peter, James, and John with us to tell us how they did it, to tell us how they saw the movement that Jesus started with fledgling, backwoods, bumbling, fumbling, doubting disciples and turned around the greatest empire the world has ever seen within 300 years. We have the blueprint. It's the book of Acts. So I'm excited to get started. I hope you are too. I hope you are too. That's why we are going to study the book of Acts. This is the great time as Christianity seems to be getting closed in on in our country and in our context. This is a great time to get back to our roots. I am not talking about taking a political party over and trying to get our elected officials in office so that we can act change through policy and through legislation. Nope. I'm talking about presenting Jesus to people so that they hear the gospel and not their political affiliation, but their hearts are changed. And if their hearts are changed, the world gets changed. That's how it happened in the book of Acts. That's how it's going to happen again. Be comforted, Christians. We have all that we need to see God do great things in our day. Let's talk about where Acts is in the canon of Scripture. Canon is not the boom-boom canon. Okay, canon is the list of books in the Bible. We have the Old Testament canon beginning with Genesis, ending with Malachi. We have the New Testament canon, uh, Matthew to Revelation. So canon is just a list of books. 
Look at the list, okay? This is the book list of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. And I have Acts highlighted there because Acts comes between what books? John and Romans. And right there, the list of the canon is really saying something. That's a powerful statement that the canon is saying in itself. Because, why do I say that? Because at the end of Matthew, at the end of John, at the, I'm sorry, Mark, at the end of Luke, at the end of John, what are you left with? You're left with these guys who see Jesus alive from the dead, and they're even like, hmm, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not, he, he was dead. Like, is this, like Matthew 28 says that they doubted. Now, John chapter 21, the great doubter, right? We call him Doubting Thomas. He lives in infamy with the name Doubting Thomas. Poor guy, had one bad day. We call him Doubting Thomas for all eternity. But, 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 but the, the movement did not look like he was on, off to this great, booming start, did it? You got these guys hiding, literally, at the end of the book of John, they're hiding behind closed doors. The Bible says, for fear of the Jews. And the Jews were their own people. So they're like, we're scared of our neighbors. You know, we can't. <laughs> and they're hiding behind closed doors. And, they, and Jesus is showing up to them. Jesus is walking through walls. He's talking to them. He's showing them his hands, his feet, all this stuff. They're like, I don't know. I don't know. And, and, and Jesus is like, okay, yeah, just wait. Wait, something's going to happen. And you'll be fine. And you'll be more than fine. You'll be my witnesses. And, and you think about it. So you go, from, you go from the end of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, doubting, fumbling, bumbling disciples. And then you go to Romans. We just talked about the Roman Empire, didn't we? What is Romans? Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church where? Guess where? Rome. Where's Rome? Rome is the capital of the Roman Empire, the most powerful empire the world had ever seen. And yet there was a church that was thriving and alive in that capital city, witnessing for Jesus, telling people about Jesus, living for Jesus in the greatest capital in human history. And so how do you go? Listen, just how do you go from fumbling, bumbling, doubting disciples who are scared and locked behind closed doors to this guy's writing a letter to a church that is alive and thriving in the capital city of the largest empire, pagan empire the world has ever seen. How do you get there? The book of Acts. The book of Acts is the bridge. It's the bridge from doubting to powerful. It's the bridge from almost like losing their minds with fear to changing the world for ever. That's what this book is about. That's why I'm excited. Are you, are you excited, audience? This is going to be exciting. I am excited, and I think that there is, again, no better time than now to study the book of Acts. Okay, I don't have much time to study the book of Acts. So that was my big introduction, but I just want to like look at the first few verses, okay? Because the first few verses unpack what it's all about. And if we look at uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, let's, let's get to the text. Acts chapter 1, verse 1, here's what it says. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Okay, let's get started. First, we find out that this book is written to somebody. And we also find out that it's the second book of two. Now, in the ancient world, you didn't have books, you had scrolls. And scrolls were long parchments of paper, long pieces of parchment that were at the most 75 feet long. So you could only get so many words on a piece of parchment that long. And if you went longer, you, you risked losing the parchment and damaging the words and, and all that stuff. So you only had so many words. So Luke is the writer of the Gospel of Luke and 
we're going to find out he's the writer of the book of Acts. And I could go in a whole diatribe about why I believe that. I don't need to bore you with that. That's for seminarians to discuss. Let's just assume, guess who it is? It's Luke. Luke is a doctor. He is a companion of Paul the Apostle. Uh, and he is the writer of the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. But he writes two books in the New Testament. In fact, actually, Luke writes more words in the New Testament than anybody else. We always think it's Paul, but it's actually Luke. But anyway, he says in my first book, O Theophilus, so he's written to someone personally. This guy's name is Theophilus. Now, Theophilus is a strange name, but it's actually a cool name because it's a two-part Greek word, theo, meaning God, and philia, meaning love, lover of God or God-lover. I think about my name. My name is actually from the Greek, word, uh, Greek language as well, Timothy. Timon, which is honor, and also a funny character in The Lion King. And Theos, Timon Theos, which means uh, God. So honoring God. My name is honoring God, and I love that name. I love the fact that my name means to honor God, and I hope my life honors God. But anyway, this guy's name is Theophilus. And Luke, who is his friend, writes this book to him. And, and, you know, a bad joke about Theophilus. There was this woman. She was born. She was, she, there was this woman. She was giving birth. And when the baby was born, the doctor said, I have the perfect name for him. She said, what doctor? He said, Theophilus. She said, oh, you mean from the Bible? He said, no, from the looks. She said, what do you mean? He said, this is Theophilus baby I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Preacher jokes. Preacher jokes be hurting. Okay. Anyway, Luke tells us this is the second part of a two-part work. I am going, and I, this is important to understand, I am going to tell you, O Theophilus, like I did before in my first book, all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, he gave commands through the Holy Spirit. So listen, what's the theme of the book of Luke? What's the theme of the book of Luke? All that Jesus began to do and teach. All that Jesus began to do and teach is the book of Luke. And now this is part two. So put those, thi- put those thoughts together. This, is, this book is the continuation of all that Jesus began to do and teach. But this time, Jesus isn't there, except for one chapter. So where's Jesus? Well, actually, two chapters. But anyway, where's Jesus? Jesus is in heaven, and we'll get there. But this book, here's what, Paul, here's what Luke is saying to us right off the bat. This book is what Jesus continued to do through his church. So this book is also about what Jesus is doing, but it's not Jesus doing it, it's his church doing it. Because guess what? The church is the body of Christ. The church is called to do what Jesus did and continue what Jesus started. Now, why do I press in here? Why do I, why do I emphasize this so much? Because here's the deal. So much of what we see in church today, and this is why they're dying, so much of what we see in church today is totally disconnected from what we see in the book of Acts. So much. In fact, even the word church, the word church is not even actually a biblical word. The word in Greek is ekklesia. How do we get church? Well, the word church actually comes from the, um, not the Greek word ekklesia, but from the German word kirche, which meant a sacred place where you gather for religious purposes. Now think about that definition. The church, according to the German word, from which we get the English word church, is a sacred place where you gather for religious purposes. But that's not what you see in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, you see very little gathering. You see like four gatherings. Do you know what you see for the rest of the book of Acts? Moving, going, leaving, stepping out, doing. Like, think about the word. 
Acts. Acts is actually one of two books in the New Testament that is named for its theme and not for who it's written to or written by. Like, think about the Gospels, right? The Gospels are, are named for who wrote them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the letters of Paul are, written for, are, are named for who they're written to, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Thessalonians, Ephesians, Galatians, Colossians, all written to those churches. There's two books in the Bible that are written for their themes. Revelation is one. We talked about that last season. And Acts is the other. And Acts gets its name. That word, the name is not actually in the Scripture. The name was given by the church fathers to say, that's what this book is about. What's the book about? Acts. <laughs> well, what do you mean? Well, this is what they did. Oh, so what did the church do? They did a lot of stuff. Like, the church did not gather. The church did not go through religious practices. So much of what we see in the church today is totally disconnected from what we see in the book of Acts. Like, I've read the book of Acts. There are zero board meetings. There's a lot of board meetings in churches all over the world. <laughs> there are zero denominations, but denominational wars, man, whoo, they have been around for a long time. There are no buildings, but a lot of churches are obsessed about their building. In fact, in America, it's like, if you don't have a building, you're not a real church. Well, where do we get that idea? Where do we get that idea? We have a church meeting in a school right now. Waters Church, Winsocket. They meet in a school. A lot of people say that's not a real church. Who says? Based on what definition? There are, here's a big one. Here's a big one. Are you ready? There are zero ordination moments in the book of Acts. What's the ordination, Pastor? That's when you have this guy get on his knees before the older people and they lay hands and they say, okay, now we say officially you are a pastor. That's an ordination. I see none of that in the book of Acts. I see the laying on of hands, but I don't see these long processes by which these guys have to go jumping through all kinds of academic and denominational loops to become some kind of a religious professional. In fact, you're going to see in the book of Acts that the people who spread the gospel the fastest are the people who had been with Jesus the least in person. Paul the apostle didn't even walk with Jesus. Philip is the first evangelist to the non-Jews, and he was a waiter. <laughs> Stephen, the first martyr, also a waiter, a servant. In other words, what I'm trying to tell you is sometimes we get so caught up in us doing church, we forget how to be the church. We get so caught up in our churchianity. We get so caught up in, oh, this is what it means. And, I, and I, I've been to seminary. Look, I've been to seminary. I thank God for my seminary education, but there's a lot of seminary education that's a bunch of crap. That's a bunch of nonsense. They put these guys through the ringers. I got this uh, syllabus up in my office. I should have brought it down. I forgot to bring it down. Anyway, of these things that a guy, to get, to get the certificate from the school so that he can go to the denominational board to say, can I be a pastor? He's got to get all these things checked off. And you should see the things. Like, he's got to perform a wedding. Like, where is that in the scriptures? Like, you know, why, why, why? Why do we relegate weddings to ministers? And ministers of the gospel, guys who should be out there preaching and teaching the gospel. Oh, no, no, no. We need them to do our wedding. Like, anybody can do your wedding. Any Joe Schmo can do your wedding. They can get a little certificate from the state, and they can sign it. And they can say, you sign it, they sign it. And then, I guess, an official say, okay, now I pronounce you man and wife. Blah, 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 blah. And then funerals. Like, oh, the pastor has to bury us. Where's that in the Bible? It's not in the Bible. It's not in the book of Acts. The, the apostles did not bury the dead. Do you know what they did? They raised the dead, okay? I mean, that's the thing that ministers should be about. We are the movement of life, not the movement of death. And this whole thing, this whole idea, like lead, one of the other things, lead and moderate a church meeting. This is a requirement for poor seminarian students. I, I've been to church meetings. Don't subject some poor upstart kid to that nonsense. Holy smokes. Talk about taking the wind out of his sails. For heaven's sakes. The guys, here's the thing. 
Because I know, I've been through this. You get called in ministry, you're excited to preach the gospel, and then you go through the rigmarole, and by the time you're done with the rigmarole, you're dead. You're spiritually dead. You're just like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I thought this was going to be exciting. And, and this is because so much of the church is disconnected from what the church is really all about. Not come and see, not come and sit, not come and listen, but go and share. Go and tell people. That's the movement of Jesus in the book of Acts. The church, this is the point I'm trying to make, the church exists to continue the mission of Jesus. And the mission of Jesus was a moving mission. It was a movement. It was not a gathering. Now, yes, there's a place, there's a time to gather. We got to gather. We got to gather. We got we to break bread. They did that. Absolutely. We're going to read about that. And there's regular routines and practices to being in the church. But if we're going to be a living church, we're going to do more than just gather. We're going to scatter. I think every good church gathers and then scatters. We gather, we get the goods from God, and then we scatter and we share the goods with everybody else. That's what a good living church is. That's the theme of the book of Acts. Anyway, we got to keep going because I don't have much time. Verse 4, and while staying, and notice I put in parentheses eating because the Greek word can be either. Actually, the Greek word is actually eating. And while staying or eating with them, Jesus ordered, look at the word, ordered them. Don't depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you heard from me. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Okay, this is pretty stinking cool. This passage, I can't tell you how important this passage is. Jesus says, and notice that I've underlined ordered, because this is like him saying, I, f- I firmly order you, don't move. <laughs> All right, so he's being firm here. Oh, and by the way, let's just back up the fact that he was eating with them. I love that because remember this, Jesus was resurrected from the dead and he spent 40 days with the disciples and he ate and he drank with them, which means that in the resurrection life, guess what? We're going to eat. <laughs> Hallelujah. I don't know what we're going to eat. Anybody's guess? But there's going to be food in the kingdom of heaven. Hallelujah. I think I just got some lemonade on my microphone. (laughs) God bless Christian chicken. Okay. Uh, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise. In other words, okay, uh, you need to wait for something. And I just, you think about the strangeness of this command. Think about this command in its context. These guys had just spent three years with the greatest Bible teacher in human history, the greatest man to ever walk on the face of the earth, the greatest miracle worker, the God in the flesh. They just spent three solid years, and they slept where he slept, and they went and stayed where he stayed, and they walked, and they left their jobs, and they followed him. It was not three years of seminary going to classes and then going back to the dormitory. It was three years of intensive side-by-side lock-step training with Jesus. And yet, in spite of all that training that they got for three years from the greatest teacher that ever lived, he says, you still need something else. Think about that. What is it saying? What's the Bible saying very subtly here? It's saying... You need more than Bible information to engage in gospel transformation. If the teaching that the disciples didn't, that the disciples, the original 12, 
or 11 by the time Acts comes around, if the teaching that they got from Jesus, okay, wasn't enough to do the mission, and Jesus says you need something more, and that something is the Holy Spirit, uh, guess what that means? That means you need more than Bible information. This is why your church might be dead. Because people in your church know the Bible, chapter and verse, but they avoid the Holy Spirit like the plague. And they don't talk, they don't ask about the Holy Spirit. They don't want the Holy Spirit. I have been to churches where they actually don't want the Holy Spirit to show up. They actually talk about how, oh, no, no, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit. No, because why? Oh, the Holy Spirit, he's like that crazy uncle that shows up for Thanksgiving and embarrasses everybody. Like, what? What? And I get it. You know, I'm Pentecostal. Like, I come from the Pentecostal church. I thank God I came from the Pentecostal church. But I, I was there, you know. I saw when the crazy uncle showed up. But it wasn't, it wasn't the Holy Spirit. It was the person. Let me just tell you something. Anybody who tells you, I can't help it. I get crazy when the Holy Spirit takes me away. It's not the Holy Spirit. They were crazy before the Holy Spirit. <laughs> They're just Holy Spirit crazy now. That's it. They're the same person. They were, when they were drunk, they were crazy in their old life. Now they're Holy Spirit crazy. Thank God they're not drunk anymore. Anyway, <laughs> uh, you, you need the Holy Spirit. If the early church needed the Holy Spirit, guess what? We need the Holy Spirit. And this is what Jesus is saying. Wait for the promise, verse 4. You've got to wait for this. This has got to be part of you. And if you do not have the Holy Spirit, you need to ask God for the Holy Spirit. You said, I thought when I came to Jesus, I received the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you do. But do you feel, do you sense it? Do you know it? You say, well, how do I know? There's a lot of signs that you have the Holy Spirit. I've been through this many times before. I've been through this on the podcast in the, in the Revelation series, but it was, it was about, um, the, you know you have the Holy Spirit when you want to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ above everything else. You know you have the Holy Spirit when you hunger and thirst for the Word of God, when the Bible is not boring to you, it comes alive. You know you have the Holy Spirit. You, you know you have the Holy Spirit when you have courage when you have boldness to share your faith and you're not ashamed of it. You know you have the Holy Spirit when you want to put sin out of your life. These are the signs that you have the Holy Spirit, okay? But you need the Holy Spirit to do the mission of Jesus, and this is what Jesus says to the disciples. And if he said it to them, he's saying it to you. Don't just get the seminary training. Don't just get the Bible knowledge. Get the Spirit. Uh, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times and seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that prophecy, uh, that, that statement in verse 8, let's just say we're on the other side of the earth from where that, word, where that phrase was spoken, and there are Christians in this room because what Jesus said in that verse came true to the ends of the earth. That is so cool. But anyway. I just think, look at the disciples' question here, because this is interesting, and it's very important we point this out. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And in many ways, the, the disciples here represent all of us, because the disciples are saying, uh, Lord, really cool, nice, that's cool, Holy Spirit and everything, sure, uh, and you're alive, this is really exciting, but the Israel kingdom, like, are we going to get back our glory? Like, this is their thoughts. Like, Jesus has just beaten death, and they're like, okay, are we going to get back to our glory days? And I think sometimes a church is dead. Think about this. Sometimes a church is dead because they are obsessed about the glory days of the past instead of what God is doing in their future, what God is doing now. Like some people are so tied to the denomination, they cannot move. I talked to a lady. I talked to a lady recently. She said, oh, I love your preaching. I watch you on TV. I'm like, oh, good. Do you come to my church? No, I go to this church. I'm like, oh, uh, do you learn at the church? Do you, do you get the Bible from the church? No, I get that from you. 
Like, well, why don't you come to my church? Well, I am tied to that church. My mom went to the church. My grandma died in that church. I could never leave that church. Like, what the heck? Stop, stop idolizing. Your mom is in heaven. If she's in heaven with Jesus, she's probably like, leave the church. I made a big mistake. Go with people who are moving with Jesus. Like, this is what I think. Anyway, the disciples are like, let's go back to the glory days, Jesus. Come on. And Jesus is like, no, that's not what this is about. You concern yourself with my mission. God will take care of the timing. You will receive power. Holy Spirit, and then again, look at this, you know, the expansion. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And we're going to talk about how that is all come, it actually starts to come true in the book of Acts. Uh, and that verse right there is the theme of the book of Acts. But, but I thought about this. Sometimes we don't want to move um, with God because we're so concerned about our comfort and our choices and our preferences, just like the disciples here. Lord, will you bring us back to our glory days? What was the glory days about? Well, they're talking about the days of Solomon when he was king, and Solomon was so rich, so powerful, and expanded the kingdom so powerfully. The Bible says that the, the nation was exceedingly rich and exceedingly prosperous, and I thought they're probably thinking about those days, like days of comfort, right? Days of riches. Day, the Bible says that Solomon made silver as common as stones in Jerusalem. So think about the, you know, the pleasures and the comforts of, the, of that day. And so they're probably thinking, comfort, comfort, comfort. We want, we want, you know, we want comfort. And Jesus is like, no, it's not about comfort. It's about the cause. It's about the commission. So your church might be dead because you're more concerned about your comfort than the Great Commission. Your church might be dead because you're more concerned about making people happy, making yourself happy. Like, if these words ever come out of your mouth, watch out. Well, I want a church that meets my needs. Like, wait, what? That's not the church. The church is people. And you're the church. Whose, me whose needs are you meeting? You know, I mean, literally, like, I, I'm all for meeting needs. I'm all for being a generous church and helping people and loving people, and we should do that, and we're going to talk about that in Acts chapter 6. But let's be honest. It's not just about your needs being met. At some point, you've got to grow up and stop having to have your needs met and start meeting other people's needs. you got to stop. At some point, you got to stop saying, oh, it was all about me. I need, my, I need this kind of church, or I need that kind of church. And there's a lot of people, especially in New England. I see this all the time. They go from church to church to church to church to find the needs for their, per, their certain season. So here's what happens. They have young children. So let's go to the ch church with the cool young children program. Then they have toddlers. Oh, let's go to the church where the great toddler program is. And then they become teenagers. Oh, let's go to the church with the cool teenage program. And our church is the cool teenage program church, right? So they're all coming to us from the other churches. And I see this happen. It's like, who are you serving? Who are you? Are you serving the commission of Jesus or are you serving your own comfort? Like, are you serving your kids' comfort? Seriously? Seriously? That's why I tell people come from other churches. Don't come. Go back. Go back to your other church. Because we want to be the church for people far from God. Okay, we don't want to just sheep steal from some other, somebody else's pasture. Now, there are times when you need to leave a church and move to another church. I understand that. And there's some, some extenuating circumstances where you're not getting the word anymore or there's a big change and there's a real problem so you have to move on, just like that microphone just did. But you have to do those things at times. But most of the time, you should just find a church that's preaching the gospel, partner with them, and give your life to the mission of Jesus. That's my idea, anyway. So they want comfort. Jesus... When are you going to restore the Israelite kingdom? And he says, nope, don't worry about that. You're going to go and tell the world about me. And you're going to do it with the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit's purpose, okay? The Holy Spirit is sent to empower people, to accomplish God's mission, to reach the world. It is not here. The Holy Spirit is not here to serve my personal priorities. And there's a danger in every age. There's a danger in our age as much as there was in this day and age right here on Acts chapter 1. There's a danger in every age for the church to cease being a movement of people and become instead a ministry that provides services to people. 
There's a big difference. Are we a movement of people bringing a message to the world, or are we a service to people who gather in a room on Sunday? Big difference. If we're going to be a church that's alive, we need to be a movement of people. How can I do that in my church, Pastor? You can serve. You can get, you know, what you should do. Some of you, if you don't come to my church, we have a serving program where you can come and sign up and get serving. If you don't come to my church, go to your pastor this Sunday and say, how can I help? And just bug him to death until he gives you something to do. Like, seriously, that's, that's how people get jobs at Waters Church, by the way. They just bug me until I'm like, okay, I'm done with you asking. You're hired, right? That's it. Like, bug the pastor. What can I do to help make the mission of Jesus come alive? Find out what happens. It could be the decision that you make, the moment that changes your life, because there's nothing better than serving the mission of Jesus. And so Jesus leaves, and it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, it says, and when he had said these things, like that's it, <laughs> like that, and when he had said these things, wait for the Holy Spirit, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight, and while they were gazing into heaven, this is a lot of churches too, just gazing, like, ooh, where's Jesus? You know? <laughs> gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So he's coming back. Don't, don't stare at the clouds. Like, that's another sign of a dying church. You're just all about, oh, heaven, heaven, heaven. Where's Jesus? Oh, Jesus. And this is another sign. Like, another sign of a dying church is when you just, just, when you just sit in your church circle and you complain about how bad culture is and you're just hoping for Jesus to come. And you say, oh, I don't know. I, if Jesus doesn't come soon, I don't know. If Jesus doesn't come. What? what? Like... He's not coming right now, so go tell somebody about him. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, really? You're just going to sit there and twiddle your thumbs until he comes again? Get out there. Do something. Be part of it. In one word, here's what we're going to talk about this season on the deep end. Go. Go. What's God telling you to do? He's telling you to go. He's telling you to get out of your comfort zone. He's telling you to not serve your comfort. He's telling you to serve the Great Commission. He's telling you to not, to be, not to live in the past, but to embrace the power of the Holy Spirit in your present. He's talking about letting go of the things that happened before and embracing what God is doing now. And he's telling you that if you've been saved to the extent that you know Jesus and there's something in your life that the Holy Spirit is doing, at some point you got to stop being served and you have to start serving. This is the book of Acts. I am excited. Season three of The Deep End is going to be awesome. So just a quick reminder to close out this episode. Connect with us on The Deep End, youtube.com slash TV. Facebook.com slash TheDeepNTV. Instagram.com slash TheDeepNTV. Follow us, like us, subscribe, do the whole thing, please. Your subscriptions on YouTube are very helpful to us, by the way. If you don't subscribe, you might not go to heaven. Um, <laughs> Twitter.com slash TV. Just notice that Twitter.com is different. It's not The Deep End. It's just TV. We couldn't get The TV on Twitter, but that's the breaks. Okay, you can check us out online, and you can check us out on your computer uh, and on the web. I am excited. We are going to be a church that goes. I hope you go with us, and most importantly, that we go with the Holy Spirit. See you next time on The Deep End. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Deep End Podcast. We pray it helps you grow in your faith and in your walk with Christ. If you don't already have a home church, we invite you to come out to one of our campuses this weekend. Check us out at waterschurch.org to find a location near you and a service time that fits your schedule. Make sure to stay tuned for next week's episode of The Deep End Podcast.